0: First thing to talk about today is a package that I skipped last episode, intentionally, because I didn't want to shortchange it. And that is pyqt 5. I've had good and bad experiences with PyQt in general, and PySide, we'll get to that in a moment, and Python in general, I will say that. So, I'm hoping to bring sort of a, um, a, a balanced view of what it's like to try to write a desktop application in Python and cute, And I'm not an expert in this, but I'm going to leverage my lack of expertise and interesting experiences for that balance. I, I feel like sometimes an expert in something, I mean, we're all probably expert at something in our lives, and a lot of times when you're the expert, you really do lose sight of really, really practical things that all the non-experts have to deal with. You think it's not a big deal. You say, don't worry about it, it's super simple. Here, I'll show you, and you do something that no one else understands, and, and you just don't understand why they don't understand it, and you think they're being trivial, and they think you're being obtuse, or stuck up. Nobody wins it's awkward nobody likes it it's painful it happens a lot in open source software I think because we all we all have different expectations of of how something should should act and what level of sort of tolerance we have for the thing that is going wrong. So, here we go. My my very, very short list of of the good and the bad about PyCute and PySide, but again, we'll get to that. So, the good. It's Python. Is that gonna be the the first thing on my bad list as well? How perceptive of you. So, the good. It's Python. That means that when you open up uh, an application written in PyCute or PySide, but we'll get to that and and look at it. You'll probably sort of have an understanding of what's going on, and I say that from from a place that of of understanding that that's. Not necessarily everyone's experience when they look at Python. But, if you've seen Python before, and maybe you've seen some C++ Qt code before, maybe not, but if you've seen Python before, you've done a little, you know, you're not a total beginner at Python, you can kind of look at it and think, okay, I understand what's happening here, I think. This is connecting to that because it's, it's set up this 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 signal and and it's pointing at that slot so yes i see how that's working you know and you can kind of step through and, and or even something simple like okay that's creating a button i mean granted that's relatively easy to see in c++ code as well but but it, i mean it's just you you get the idea you know in python you see the code and it's it's almost at it, it, the good places it's almost like just a little script i mean it, it's it's very rarely like a script but i'm saying there are chunks of it a lot of times within a class within a function where you, you, you're you seeing things happen. You know, you see, okay, this is creating the interface because there's a field, there's a combo box, there's a button, button, button. Oh, here's a toolbar thing. Yeah, I get this. And, and you'll understand it because it's Python and it's, it's readable, which is what Python likes to think that it is a lot. And, and a lot of times it is, to be fair. So that's a good thing. Second good thing about this. The UI that it creates is really really nice. I I can't I I, I mean look, I don't have to, right? I mean I I'm, I'm a KDE user. I love the Qt framework. I think that it's it's one of the best Frameworks out there. I just love it. I think it's one of the best really I I think it's can I just say it's the best I think it might be the best framework out there for GUIs I mean am am I saying that I love again that I love how programming deals with Constructing visual interfaces in general do I love how programming works in general not necessarily I I'm you know I I still think we have a ways to go to make it really really simple but cute for what we got I think cute is the pinnacle or a pinnacle, anyway. Maybe there's more than one pinnacle. There are peaks and valleys, and Cute is a peak. So you get that now with Python. And honestly, like if you're looking at other, if you're looking to make a Python GUI of a, a, a graphical user interface with a backend of Python, then Cute is probably, I think, your best bet. There are others out there. There's Python Wix widget, Wx widgets for Python. Um, I don't recommend that. I've used it. I do not recommend it. Cute. I strongly recommend. I would go to cute and Python. No question about it. Easy choice. And then the third nice thing about PyCute is that it is uh, cross-platform, which you know always kinds of. I mean that that's going to get high marks from from me all the time. I, I think cross-platform is just that's what we should be doing in computing right now. That it's just not not really even a question. Like yes, if 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 you can do cross platform then do cross platform because it's silly for us to continue to to separate the the experience of of users based on i don't know really arbitrary decisions um so it's it's nice when something is cross platform i say that understanding that it's also very difficult to be cross platform but again that's a good thing. Like, that's almost a fourth good point about this. It's cross-platform, like with underlines. It's it's really, really cross-platform, so you don't have to be. In other words, you have to think a lot less about what you need to do in order for your application to work on that program, uh, on that OS, or, or on that OS, when you're using Qt. Because Qt has already figured that out. Python has, in theory, already figured that out. You don't have to deal with all those special cases. Your, your tool set is doing it for you. And I think that's great. I think we need, I would argue, more of that in programming. I know that some programmers who are really smart and, and are doing those things, like they're they're writing the things that do the magic for you, They're they're thinking, well, no, that's not how programming works. But I'm saying at a certain level, that's what people want it. To have, that's what that's how they they want it to work that's how i want it to work i want to be able to get the the whole package i want the cross platformedness i want the levels the layers of abstraction i want the, the 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 things that where i you know when i create a button the button just appears like i don't have to define the button i just want the button i want to make it really really simple like i want all programming to be as easy as html and css which anyone who's tried to, uh, what's the joke? Anyone who's done a, a tried to do a vertical align with CSS will tell you that it, it's not easy, but, I mean, still, that easy would be really cool. And PyCute, while not that easy, is, it, it it's, it's worlds away easier than, you know, C++ and cute. So, really, really good. Four points for why it's good. It's Python, it's a great UI, great framework, and it's cross-platform. Oh, I said four. It's a great platform. There, there's your four. Okay, now let's talk about the bad things. The bad things. It's Python. Look, I don't mean to, to be down on Python, but, I mean, honestly, Python has its drawbacks. There are definite things about Python that are not fun to deal with, and if you don't like to deal with those things, you're probably going to want to avoid them, and and certainly writing something in PyCute would not assist you in avoiding that. So if you're not a fan of Python, or if you've just gotten to the point where you can't be a fan of Python because it has just just enough annoyances that you just don't want to you you don't want to deal with it, then then this is, that's a bad aspect of pi obviously. Um, th- the next thing is, there's a bit of confusion right now over pi and Pi-Side. Pi-cute was a thing, it was being developed, it, it is being developed, I think, by Riverside, Riverbank Computing, and then for whatever reason, somebody, and I don't remember who it was, came out with Pi-Side. Pi-side was, it, it's pi but it's, it's pi and, and and so now we have PyCute and we have PySide. They're not, like, completely interchangeable, so you have to make a choice. You won't know which one to choose. You'll go back and forth for days. You'll, you'll finally settle on whichever one you manage to install correctly, and and you'll go in that direction. And then, about halfway through your project, you'll regret it and think you should have gone the other way. And in the end, it didn't matter anyway, it, it, honestly, it doesn't. They're both the same, except they're not the same. It's it's stupid, it's confusing, I don't like it. Um, I, I don't know why, and I know usually I'm I'm solidly in the position of like, hey, it's open source, give me all the choices. But in this case, it just, I feel like the two choices, like I said, are, are just so, I just don't understand why I would choose one over the other. And then, if I do have to make that choice, I feel like I'm kind of, I, I'm, I'm, I'm making a choice between two, two things that, like, it would just be better if they weren't two different things. There might be some subtlety about them that I just don't quite understand. As I, as I vaguely understand, pie Side is actually supported by the Qt Foundation, so in theory, pie Side versioning should be really really easy to understand along with cute versioning which pycute on the other hand is by a sort of an external entity as it were and so sometimes cute will up date itself but Pi Py, PiCute won't get the update yet and so you, you know you, you won't be able to update your Cute unless uh, until PiCute gets updated and so on so i guess that's one reason to, to choose PySide. and that's another bad thing is that that version thing the the versioning um connection the tenuous connection between PiCute and 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 cute itself. So pi cute is, it's not, you know, it's, it isn't magic. it it's, python bindings that sort of talk to the cute framework the cute framework is not written in python it's it's c so python talking to that framework it, it takes some you know some non-trivial coding to to get those python to be able to just call those those libraries and, and make them appear and so on so it is you know that there's there's maintenance to do whenever cute changes something on its back end, then PyCute has to scramble and change things on the way that Py, you know, that its, that it's module, PyCute, uh, talks to whatever Qt framework you have installed. That can be a problem sometimes. I mean, if you decide in your application journey that you're using PyCute, then you know you're signing up for very careful tracking of the cute project and the cute project, and understanding when they align. Luckily, they both use the same version numbers, so it's not like... It, there, there's not a question of, oh, I need PyQt 48.5 because that's what aligns to cute 5.12. No, it's cute 5.12. Guess which pike cute you need? Right, 5.12. So that 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 makes it simple to understand. It's just that it is a step in your maintenance that you have to make sure those two things align. Is that a big deal? Probably not. I mean, programmers kind of deal with that all the time, really. Like if you're using one library that requires another library, then if you update the the foundational library, then the other one might need updating as well, you know? So I mean, it's it isn't that big of a deal. Like, like that's that's not unheard of. It is just a thing that you have to keep in mind, which maybe you didn't know. So I think that that's that's well. I'll I'll say the fourth bad thing, and then and then I'll get into sort of the bigger picture. So the fourth bad thing is how the heck do you package a Python desktop application? Honestly, like seriously, somebody. Could someone please explain this to me? I, I I understand that there's something having to do with maybe packaging it up for Py Py, and then people can install it with Pip or something. And there are Python wheels, and you should be using an environment, a virtual environment in Python, so that you don't get anything wrong. And then you shouldn't use the the what what was it called? Um, the I don't know the the. The get install config file you should be using the toml file now it's just i don't know i've i've never been happy with python packaging i really i haven't been is it any different than any other packaging probably not and again this is my non-expertise speaking here but it's just i feel like programming is hard enough, and then at the end of your journey, you, you, it suddenly dawns on you that now you have to ship this to other people, and you realize that's really hard to do. I mean, this is one of the beautiful things about Java. It's, it's, it's quote-unquote hard until you make it a jar file and just send someone the jar file. Imagine that. Like, it's just, it just, it's just right there. It's all there, and it's cross-platform, and it's in a jar file. Like, that is nice. I know. There are, there are exceptions, there are times when that doesn't work, there are complications. That could be easier too. However, the Python thing for packaging, I just... I don't understand how you're supposed to do it. I really don't. And then it's different on every platform, of course. Um, it, it, it gets complex, and then you're... so you're sending your application out to people, and you're telling them, well, first you have to install this uh, cute package, well, that's from, that's from over here on cute.io, or whatever their site is these days. Uh, yeah, okay, and then you have to go get PyCute. Those are the foundational libraries. Well, here, I'll write you an installer for that, but you still have to get cute yourself. Uh, oh, but you have to get that version. Okay, well, I'll, I'll write an installer for that as well, I guess. But you still have, yeah, let's do that. So I'll, I'll package all that stuff together. You know, and so you're just, you're, I just, it, my, my mind boggles at the concept of all the things you have to try to manage when doing what you set what started out as a very simple application. Oh, I'll just write a really quick application in Python, and it'll just use cute. So it's just all on my computer already, and it's really super simple. And then, and then it just the, your world falls apart as you try to package it up for Windows and for Mac and for a different Linux distribution or for a flat pack. Maybe we'll just go app image. Oh my gosh, no, that doesn't work. Let's just go back to flat pack. It's just it's out of the control. So, and again, not an expert here, but I'm using that as a strength. I'm saying that if you are not an expert and you believe you are just sort of waltzing into this sort of magical land of talking to a very complex toolkit with a relatively simple programming language then there are a lot of things that you're going to have to learn about like packaging and and figuring out which version to use and how to get your users to be on that same version, and so on. Very complex. So that's four bad things. It's Python. There's a thing called PySide, and there's a thing called PyQt. That's two things. Um, So one, Python. Two, PySide confusion. Three, version control. Four, packaging. So I've got four good things and four bad things. How predictable is it that that they 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 both have the same number? Actually, I only had three good things if we're fair, right? Because it's cross-platform on there twice. So, but but I want there to be at least four or five good things cuz overall this is a good thing. I'm I don't mean to be really down on Pikachu. I just want to set expectations because a lot of times I think people see this and they think, "Well, this is really cool." And it is cool, and that's what I'm going to that's what I want to go into right now. Because I said I had both good and bad experiences. My bad experiences, I feel like I've already kind of gotten them across. They're, you know, it's, it's hard to program is probably what it boils down to. It's hard to program, it's hard to distribute, there's a lot of stuff to think about. It's complex. Do not approach a PyQt application like you do a bash script it's not the same thing it's very different you really have to think about what you're what you're getting yourself into what kind of platforms you're going to be able to support how people are going to install things and so on it is difficult Using PyQt, believe it or not, is a lot easier than using PyWix widgets or whatever, um, and, and other tools, in my opinion. that That's just my opinion. Uh, PyQt of the Python, write a desktop application with Python, I would say PyQt is is definitely a great, great contender. I don't know about Py. I think, is there still a PyGTK? Or is that what... Yeah, I'm not sure. I I don't know about that one. But, um, PyCute makes it easy, but it's it's not easy. Now, I have had an experience, uh, for years, with PyCute, actually PySide, that was really, really positive, and that was at a uh, production house, that used Cute applications anyway. It was an integral part of their, uh, of the studio uh, application set. There were applications written in Cute, and everything, all the applications had a Python um, scripting extension, and so you could just, you could use PySide to create your own interfaces, and then use the Py ext- Python extension, uh, extensibility plug thing, in that app, of that application, like an API, to, um, to put your little panels, your cute panels, or your cute pop-ups, whatever, uh, into that application. Or you could make buttons in that application that would then launch your, little extension it was a really really big deal and it was a really really great experience it was so easy it really was like writing bash scripts it was just you would just open up your text editor you would look at the api or not the api you'd look at the documentation for pi and the documentation for the application so yeah i guess that is the api uh and you but th- that doesn't matter really but um you know whatever it is you can write the the PyQt, you just... text editor, write your Python in your... not PyQt, I keep saying PyQt, it was actually PySide that we were using. You just write your little windows and things like that with PySide, and suddenly you're you're extending applications, and, and it's super easy, and you never have to worry about versioning, or, or what's installed, because it was a set... You knew your environment, 100%. So, I mean, I think... I'm going to imagine that any programming is easier when you have a homogenous environment across all of the computers that you're programming for. But with PyQt, I will say that, that sort of the dream of just being able to make desktop applications that look like native desktop applications, and act like native desktop applications, that was realized at that job where, yeah, all the computers are the same, the versions of everything was standardized, it it just worked, it just absolutely, it was so easy, and it was, it was like glimpsing, getting a glimpse into, into the future, you know, or, or into the, into what we were all promised, I guess, when we're thinking about, sort of, computing. I mean, it was just so easy, and everything was cross-platform, and it, it just, everything just kind of magically, magically worked, and it was so nice, and it was, like I say, it was as easy as you had an idea in the morning, and you thought, you know what, I'm just gonna write a quick bash script to calculate, you know, this, this value for me, or something like that, well, why not? write a quick Python application to uh, take that shape and transform it uh, and double it in size. How hard can it be? Well, it turns out not very hard at all. It's really, really easy. You just look up the the function within the application that you want to hook into, and then you do the normal PySide things to generate your GUI, and it all works. I mean, I... Can you imagine, as an open-source enthusiast, if it were always that easy. Like, if someone rang you up and said, Hey, I need I need an application to convert... Um, you know, I'm, I'm buying an application to convert images, and it's gonna cost me, I don't know, 15 bucks, even $15. And, you, you, you know, in your head, you're just thinking, Don't spend your $15 on some poorly written application that you're gonna download, and it's not gonna work right, and you have to struggle with it, and then it's gonna go out of date, in a month. So, so, so don't do that. I'll just... Here, hold on. I'll, I'll write you a quick application to do it, and they will send it to you. And you could do that! Like, how cool would that be? I mean, I think that would be amazing. You could just... You know, because, I mean, uh, there are so many times where people will ask me a question, and I'll think, Yes, I can I could help you with that. I can I could make that super easy for you, uh, but you'd have to switch to Linux and you'd have to learn how to run a command in a terminal. So all told, three years, and you'll be set to go, to bulk convert all of your big PNG files from your camera down to really high quality but small file size WebP. And it'll only take three years. It'll be great. Well, obviously someone's gonna go spend their 15 bucks on some really poorly written application because, I mean, that that works. That's better than your option. And, and wouldn't it be cool in, like, some fantasy world where someone could call you up and say, Hey, I want to do a bulk conversion uh, thing. Can you... Do you know how to do that, because it's taking me days to um, open every file in my uh, photo editor and save it as, and, and I'm doing that for, you know, a thousand five hundred and thirty-three images. Could you make that faster for me? You're like, yeah, hold on, give me, give me like an afternoon. I'll, I'll, I'll send you a really quick uh, little application that you can launch, and it, will you, you'll just, Point the application to the, the the file the folder containing all of your images, and it'll do the rest. And you could do that with a, a quick and simple Python loop that that just creates a little cute window, gives you a, a file chooser, bang done, and then pipes pipes that command through um, whatever. Pill is what is it? Pillow now, uh, and and then it's done, and you wouldn't have to worry about oh, what version of Cute do you have installed? Can you install Cute? Okay, well, in order to call install Cute on Mac, you have to do Xcode, so download Xcode, and then the you know it's just it's a nightmare to try to figure out. But what if it wasn't? What if it was just all there? It would be amazing. I guess that leads me, ultimately, like it has led everyone back to the web browser. I mean, that's why the web browser is such a popular... this is a complete non sequitur. I'm just saying, that's why the web browser is so darned easy and so darned popular, because that is exactly what people are finding is possible. I mean, even, like, look at, uh, what is it? Um, Electron. That's the, the GUI framework, essentially, for JavaScript uh, for for javascripting um and i think node and stuff like that uh and 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 a web browser backend, and people, you know, online, they tend to despise that because they think, why are you shipping a whole web browser? It's because it's a universal GUI framework. Why wouldn't you ship a web browser with your application? That's the one thing you can guarantee everyone will be able to just install and run on a system, and it works the same for everyone. Where's the drawback to that? There is no drawback there, except that they're downloading a five gigabyte application, that's an exaggeration, um, just to bulk convert some images down to WebP. I, I get the, I get the quote-unquote problem, but also I just don't see the problem. Um, I think, I think, I think that's, I think that's the answer, you know, ultimately, I, I really do. Anyway, that's cute I guess, in summary, to, to make my ra- random rambling thoughts a little bit more succinct, cute. it is fantastic, as long as you understand that there are versions and installation uh, issues, and, you, you know, you, you have to put a lot of thought into how you're gonna get that application that's written in one language that's tethered carefully To a framework that might not already exist on all the platforms that you might be targeting. If you if you don't want to think about that, then you probably don't want to. You probably don't want to go down the path of PyQt. And and honestly, I'm not sure that you'd want to go down the path of Python desktop applications. Those are my thoughts. You might want to look at something like Electron or or Java, something where you can either ship everything that the person needs to run it, or or you might want to look into something that I don't know that everyone is likely to have on their on their system which again again i think is a web browser and then you're just writing a web app instead of shipping code and, and hey, if someone has something better, if someone has the, the right answer to this, I am more than happy to hear it because I'm not... I don't mean to assert anything here, I'm just saying in my experience, this has been a difficult problem to solve and I don't think I'm alone here. I mean, otherwise we wouldn't have uh, Electron and and Java and packs and things like that that are seeking to deliver an application easily to lots of different platforms without any expectation of what exists on that target computer so but but if there is something that i'm missing then hey uh, let me know about it i would be eager to hear that let's go drink some coffee We're back with coffee, and roasted hazelnuts. Yeah, I got some uh, ha- I think they're hazelnuts. Are they hazelnuts or chestnuts? No, I think they're hazelnuts. Anyway, I got these hazelnuts or something from a neighbor who, who has a tree that, that produces these hazelnuts or chestnuts. I'm pretty sure they're hazelnuts. And I decided, because I thought they were just chestnuts, I decided to put them on top of the fireplace, because today, like today, it, the, the, it, the high is 6 uh, Celsius, so that's cold. Um, so, well, it's I mean, it's not freezing, but it's, it's pretty cold. Um, so I put the, some chestnuts, no, some hazelnuts, on top of the fireplace, and they roasted. And it was really, really, they really toasted, you know. Uh, really, really good. And, uh, with coffee, and a little bit of roasted hazelnut on the side. That was good. So, that was fun. And, uh, now we're still talking about cute in a way, because the next package in this list... Well, technically, the next package would be Q-Cintilla, but we talked about that in the previous episode. So, uh, the next application in the list is AV. And CuteAV, I didn't know how... Honestly, I don't even know how I got it installed, so maybe I should even check. No, I mean, it's obviously... What am I talking about? It's in Slackware. Okay, so now I know how it got installed. For a very long time, I was not clear on how it had gotten I thought, did I install this with like cute creator? Like did that come bundled with cute creator or something? I couldn't figure out how cute A V got on my computer, where it came from, what whose project it was, just wasn't really sure. Well, it's you can go to cute av dot org that's q-t-a-v dot org and you can read all about it it is essentially a multimedia playback framework based on cute and ffmpeg so what's the advantage here well the advantage is that the alternative is cute multimedia and cute multimedia is the thing that gets shipped you know you get that with the cute framework by just for free like that just comes with cute uh, cute uh, the cute framework it includes cute multimedia and cute multimedia can play some codecs some forms of media but not not all of them ffmpeg by contrast just plays practically anything you throw at it so cute av combines ffmpeg with the cute framework to produce uh, a a simple player but it's more than that it's it's also i mean it is an and it, it's a it's a library that you could use you can use it in QML you could use it in your C++ can you use it with Python I don't know I haven't actually looked into that and I I never thought to look until until just now when I, you know, now that I'm just talking about PyCute previously um but yeah it's a pretty simple little method to 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 play back media without worrying about extra codecs that's huge um for me for the longest time I feel like I'm being really negative in this episode um for me in a long time um i i i just got annoyed at cute av because like i said i didn't exactly know where it came from and it would always just pop up like if i would go to um I would go to anywhere on my drive with a video on it, I would click on something, right-click on it, and it would—the the default option—it seemed to always be Cute AV Player, and it drove me crazy because I didn't want it to open in Cute AV Player. I wanted it to open in Dragon. I don't remember why. It was just whatever, you know, whatever reason. I just I I, I didn't want it to be in cute AV player. I-, I cuz I, I- don't remember why exa- exactly, but I mean there are some features in Dragon that I just happen to maybe like, or maybe that I'm just used to. Like the way that it lists everything in a playlist, sort of when it- when a- when a thing that you're watching is over, it just adds it to your- to almost a queue that has- well, it's, it's a history, really, but it just- it just populates its own window. So, little weird things like that that are completely inconsequential, but for me, for the- you know, for what I was doing, out of convenience, that's what I wanted. And I just, I had to set like every media type practically, you know, if it was an mp4, webm, uh, avi, xvid, whatever codec it was, or whatever container, mkv, you know, whatever it was, it just seems like I would always, always click on a new one, you know, every other day, and, and I would just keep seeing Cute AV, and I would think I just changed it to Dragon yesterday. Well, you didn't do it for that container, so um, for that format. So it, it used to get on my nerves before I understood what it was, and and it's actually really, really, really useful. Um, if you if you, you know, out of the box, Cute AV is amazing. I mean, it will play everything that FFmpeg will play which is again practically everything it uses ffmpeg and openal and cute and like i say it's got the library files and a little uh, i i'm assuming that cute av is like the 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 player itself i'm assuming it's just a proof of concept like a sample i don't think cute av is actually like i don't think they're selling for lack of a better word the player i think they're they're selling again just not not literal selling but i i think it, it i think they're they're pitching to the world this really, really useful library. It happens to have a, a sample player bundled with it, but the, I think the selling point is this really useful multimedia uh, framework that that essentially is is sort of better, possibly, you know, arguably better uh, than cute multimedia. So there you go. That's cute AV. Actually, really, really useful. I mean, whether you know whether it's Being useful and being, um, being sort of pleasant to use are different things, so whether, whether you want to play your stuff in cute AV is, is entirely up to you, and there's no sort of right or wrong answer, like, if, if you like what you see and what it provides you, then great, um, that's really, that's really nice. Uh, I, like I say, I, I don't use it myself, and not for any good reason. Like, it's a a really, really great application. It does have, like, if you, in the lower right corner of the application, there's a little menu icon, and it has all the stuff that that Dragon has. Absolutely, it's got variable speed, it's got uh, the ability to loop playback, uh, it's got the ability to set your subtitles and your audio tracks, uh, which channel you want to hear, what aspect ratio, the color space. You can adjust the color uh, of of the things, or so if you need to adjust the the you know the dimness and stuff, uh, you can do that. You can use CUDA to to playback. You can use um, you, you do that. You can create a playlist. You have a history of everything that you have played. You can play stuff from a URL. I mean, there's just it's endlessly useful. Like honest, like really, it's a great application. You should try it. I'm not saying you have to use it forever. I'm just saying you should try it. I mean. VLC is also an amazing player, and as I've said before, I haven't been using that lately either. I've just fallen into a a thing where where Dragon happens to be playing the things that I want to watch, and so that's what I've gotten used to, and so I'm perfectly happy to just use Dragon. If if Dragon goes away next KDE version, Plasma Desktop version, then that's fine. I'm, no, actually KDE version, right? Because Dragon isn't, isn't the Plasma Desktop. It's, I don't know. Anyway, if Dragon goes away, that's okay. I will happily switch over to Cute AV or to VLC or to whatever other thing that I find. There's there's so many options out there, and this is one of those times in open source where where it's great to have all those options. This is a good time. This isn't like PiCute versus PySide. This is oh cool. I can have whatever player, and I can be as picky as I want about the stupidest, silliest little thing because nobody's nobody's paying attention. Like it, it's nobody cares. It's just my preference. I like that. Next up is um, SDL2, and SDL is the, it stands for Simple Direct Media Layer Version 2, in this case, because it's SDL2, and that is significant because there was SDL, and there are things out there that depend on SDL specifically rather than SDL2. So SDL2, Simple Direct Media Layer, it is a cross-platform development library that gives a developer low-level access to the audio, the keyboard input, mouse, uh, joystick, graphics hardware... Uh, I guess that's all you really need, right? So it, it is a way to make pictures and sounds appear on screen and then to control things with with your keyboard. So if that sounds like a little bit like a video game type thing, that's exactly what SDL can be. Um, I don't know that I've seen SDL used for anything but video games, but there might be some audio applications out there that do use SDL. So I could be, I could be, I could be mistaken, but SDL 2 is very popular among video game creators, at least, you know, sort of, I guess, I guess independent video game. I mean, you know, you're not, you're not seeing SDL being used so much in your AAA video games. Uh, This is something that's a little, it's, it's, you know, among a certain set of people, this is an ubiquitous library. Other people, less ubiquitous. And that's not to say that SDL2 isn't amazing. It's just not, you know, it's not, um... It isn't Godot. It's just SDL2. It, it gives you easy access to painting pixels, playing sounds, and controlling things. You know, picking up input. And it's kind of surprising sometimes. I mean, remember what I was saying about uh, PyCute and, and PySide and how programming was really hard and there were th- th- weird things that you would have to do that you would just think, I don't have to do that, really, do I? Um, and here's an example, actually. So in, in Python, if you're doing a video game, uh, or in Lua, if you're doing a video game, uh, you have to write code to pick up... And in Java, um, you have to write code to pick up, like, key presses. Like So, so if someone's, you know, pressing the W, A, S, D keys on their keyboard, which for video gamers is a very common arrangement of up for W, A for left, D, uh, for right, S for down, um, or south if you prefer. Um, if someone's pressing those keys on your, uh, in your video game, your video game doesn't natively care. Like, programming language doesn't, I mean, how could it? It it can't know whether you want to treat a WASD as up, down, left, right, or, uh, whether you want to, or I guess up, left, down, right, um, or, or whether you want to to pick up that those keys as someone is typing in the letters WASD, which, by the way, comes out as dot, uh, or rather, comma-a-o-e in on Dvorak. So, um, yeah, it doesn't know, the computer doesn't know, the programming language doesn't know, so you have to write that in. But it's not like you just have to write, um, import video game control scheme, or import WASD control control scheme or something like that. Um no, you have to like create a function that gets called every, you know, couple of milliseconds or whatever. Um and you have to detect which key is being pressed. If the key being pressed right now is W, then we'll do something to the sprite that's on screen currently, or the camera controller, or whatever it is you're moving. If it's A, then we'll do something different. If it's S and D, if it's something else entirely, the space bar, or the return, or the escape key, then some other action needs to be taken. If it's something yet different, then just, we'll just drop that signal. We don't care about that one. You know, and, and you have to go through all of that manually, and it is a very manual, you know, if-then kind of process and every time you write it you will think to yourself surely there is a better way like surely there's some some way that that this isn't how like there's got to be a better way to do this and and you know i mean there probably are somewhere <laughs> There probably is uh, a better way somewhere, but it's, it's tough to find, because it, like I say, like, a programming language natively shouldn't really care what you're pressing. And even a, a specific framework doesn't necessarily care, because are you the sort of person who wants WASD, or do you prefer the arrow keys, or are your users expected to be using the mouse, and some other assortment of keys, or a gamepad, or, or, you know, what is actually the control scheme, and, and I'm, I, I would be surprised if there wasn't, like, a a library for some video game framework out there where you can just import this schema and then we're done. The code code is written for you already. We're just reusing it. But a lot of things out there, that's not how it happens. You do have to write that code. You have to come up with that logic. You have to reimplement it just like hundreds of people have done before you. SDL does not... As far as I know, doesn't have a drop-in, you know, schema type thing. SDL. What what it does is that it it gives you, your your application a it gives it the power or the capability to monitor for those key presses because otherwise you're just what are you doing like you how are you going to get input from the user and 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 relate it to what's happening on screen with your graphics or your sounds or whatever you're showing or or playing well lib sdl has that the, the keyboard component sort of built in now now you can look you can look for keys key presses key releases maybe the you know, whether they're holding it down, whether they've they've just pressed it, whether they've released it, you can listen to the mouse signals, you can uh, listen for um, joystick uh, control, and you can also play audio and, like I say, graphics. So, really, really significant little library used by a lot of things. You'll see it a lot in the emulation space, you'll see it a lot in... Um, what's that one i don't think it's considered an emulator the one from lucas arts the um scum scum v scum vm scum yeah scum vm um I, i'm pretty sure that uses sdl geez now i forget but um yeah it's a really important library you'll hear Video gamer... video game developers talk about it a lot. Um, and not... not all video game programmers, like I say, but some. Some... this is ubiquitous. SDL2 underscore GFX. That's the SDL2 library providing graphics primitives and surface functions. So, that means, for instance, drawing a line, or a circle, or a polygon. Once again, those are now classes, those are... those are objects that you can write really quickly in your game Without having to reinvent the maths involved to to do geometry, very significant. SDL2 Im- underscore image. This one loads images. That's huge. And and you know it's these are the things you don't think about when you're thinking how hard can it be to program? Surely you just write uh, display dot image parenthesis quote path to image close quote close no, that is not how you do it. Like that doesn't that if you're if you don't have a library that understands display dot image, and I'm just making that up, but I mean like th- that wouldn't do anything. You you programming languages don't just know how to do stuff. They're they're programming languages. They are the tools you use to build the things that your computer does. They don't do the thing that your computer does. It's really surprising uh, in a in a weird way, you know, because you just think, well, I'm I'm sitting here in the twenty first century um, and I'm programming a computer I mean how how advanced is that surely there's just something that I can just uh, there's a word I can type to make my the program that I am building will just load an image or something well you can't but sdl2 underscore image is a library that allows you to do that you can type in some code to tell it to load in the data of some file, and then to interpret that data in a certain way. Because, I mean, loading data is easy, right? You can you can look at the bits, you can load those into memory, but then what do you do with those? The programming language doesn't know. sdl2 underscore image understands what a jpeg is, a png, a targa, a tiff, bitmap, lots more. Uh, you know, gif, bmp, all those things. sdl2 underscore mixer, that Uh, as you can imagine, mixes sound together, so now you've got multi-channels of audio playing. Which is important. You don't want a want one. You know you don't want your music track playing, and then when a when someone says something, the music has to drop out for a moment because it can only play one stream at a time. SDL2 underscore net. That's the networking library, so you can download things on from the internet. Um, that's really useful because I mean, especially if you want to be able to deliver downloadable content or updates sdl2 underscore net would make that really pretty straightforward. sdl2 underscore ttf, that's the true type font library. So once again, you could load a font file as as just raw data but then you'd have to tell your your program how to interpret that which i mean you wouldn't want to do that why would you want to have to literally reinvent like how fonts work instead you would just use sdl2 underscore ttf it loads in that true type font and then displays it and and can scale it appropriately without degradation and so on that's all of the sdls it's a really important library. It, it is one of those libraries that it, it just... It's kind of the foundational library of, well, painting arbitrary graphics onto a screen. Of course there are o- other ways of doing it. I mean, like AV is using FFmpeg. That's a completely different thing. It's not using SDL. But other things do use SDL. Again, partly because I think you get both the, the, the marriage of graphics and audio, and then you've got that underlying control scheme, or I shouldn't say control scheme, but um, you've got the 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 access that you would need to to various types of controllers to then correlate to the graphics and audio that you're that you're using. So, it's just really ideal for I think the format of interactive media on a computer, and I think that's everything for this episode. I mean, there's a lot more to cover, but I, th- I feel pretty good about that. That that got us through... Uh, those two episodes, this one and the previous one, got us through all the capital letter uh, libraries. So the SDLs were the last bunch. The next one, we're, we're in the A section, officially, lowercase a. So we'll start with A52Decoder and continue on from there. I, I don't know. feel pretty good about some of the progress. I. No, I, I I probably go on too much about some things. Other things are fine. Um, looking at this list, I'm not that uh, I'm, I'm not too frightened about it though. I, actually, it, it's I think it's going to be manageable. So that's a good thing. We'll continue library overview in the next episode. Talk to you then.